Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Well, hi there, stranger. Welcome to the Second Tier Podcast. I'm Ryan Dilks, and I'm joined by the 260-mile trip from London to Durham to my pleasant walk to the shops. It's just in Peach. Good morning. I was wondering That's... how long it. I was wondering how long it would take for us to at least allude to that this weekend. Some, some sort of mention of it. It took approximately five seconds into the podcast. <laughs> How's it going, Justin? It's good. It's good. Weather's a bit dim at the moment. It's the only thing yeah. we can really talk about. That's Slightly interesting, but you know, but getting everyone's by, healthy. Absolutely, Fo- and we're, we're football seems in. like it's on the horizon. That is one yep. positive. There's a bit of bit of hope there, which is good. Yeah, the hope is growing. It was meant to be the playoff final this weekend, which is quite saddening. This could have been a very different episode if that was the case, Justin. Oh yeah. Uh, with no context or explain your answer whatsoever, who do you think would have been in the playoff final this season if there was no outbreak? No context whatsoever. Yeah, Luton Town. I meant realistically. Yeah, well, you said no context. Um, oh, it's, it's a good question. Um, so, in the final, f- Forest and mm, Fulham. I'd have gone Brentford and Forest. My main thinking would be that. <coughs> I, actually, no. It's no context. No context. We'll no leave context. it at that to let people think. Right. So, as usual, we have a jam-packed show for you even though there is no football to talk about but we are still cracking on with some good old-fashioned championship nostalgia although in all honesty i am looking forward to hopefully soon talking about some actual football again soon real justin football. Real, real football, football. that is actually happening at the weekend instead of numerous seasons ago but as usual we'll have the 11s this week we're talking about the playoff heroes with it obviously being the playoff weekend we'll have a look back at some of those who stood up when it really mattered Uh, we'll have some uh, squad goals as usual as well this week i'm picking a great squad and justin's picking a not so great squad then we'll have the craig bryson pub quiz to wrap everything up. So we'll start off with some news and we start with some breaking news just a few hours before we started recording. The EFL say two people have tested positive <coughs> for coronavirus in the first round of testing at championship clubs. It's since been revealed that that, that both those people are at Hull. Over a thousand tests of players and staff were undertaken and they were the only two to come back positive. Obviously, two people testing positive isn't good, but the fact it's only just two is encouraging, isn't it? But when you compare the numbers of people to how many tested positive, yeah, it's, 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 it is good, it is positive. Um, compare that to, as well, um, the number of positive cases of players in, in Germany. Again, it's, 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 a good, it's a good step forward. And I've heard a lot of people saying that, actually... 
you know, it's probably one of the safer workplaces um, going to a football ground compared to other places. So the chances of, you know, getting the virus are a lot lower than they would be going to an office, for example. I presume you're saying that because everyone's being tested. Mm -hmm. No, absolutely. Testing, I imagine um, sanitising as well would be a lot higher. You know, clubs are already, I imagine, clean places, but there'd be extra precautions put in place. And obviously, it's the, it's in the league's best interest to provide clubs with with safe space. So, Yeah, well, the BBC is reporting that players will be told to self-test themselves at home twice a week. It claims it's seen protocol from the EFL that says players who test positive and are not showing symptoms must isolate for 14 days. Then those who test positive and do have symptoms have to isolate for seven days and would then face no further antigen testing. And then those who are negative but do have symptoms will isolate for seven days, then retest. Bit confusing, but it seems like the EFL have really got... They've got it under control, basically. Um, The EFL has confirmed clubs will still be promoted and relegated if seasons are cancelled because of the coronavirus crisis. Playoffs will also be played, but with no more than four teams. It's... Not much of a surprise that that is the case because the Mm -hmm. EFL have been ringing the bell for promotion and relegation to still be a thing. Yeah. Um, But at one point it did seem like that might not be the case, didn't it? Yeah, definitely. And obviously the EFL taking these definitive steps is the best case we can hope for. You know, there's the whole integrity of the sport being being called into it. And promotion and relegation, I think, still gives clubs... It's in everybody's best interest for them to play out the season. Well, one club that has raised a few concerns about how the season could potentially continue is Hull, according to The Telegraph. They've been revealed as the first championship club strongly opposed to the season continuing. Mm -hmm. Vice chairman Ehab Alam has written to the EFL saying he has serious concerns over football's return. Days later, The Telegraph reported that Hull have written again to the EFL and this time to all the championship clubs explaining why they want the season to end. It's also claimed other clubs in the league are becoming increasingly frustrated with their position. It seems like the vast majority of clubs are for football continuing. We mm-hmm. mentioned last week, didn't we, that there, there was reports of four or five clubs against it. Hull seem to be the most outspoken at the moment, but it seems like they're in a massive minority, doesn't it? No, definitely. And it's it's good that clubs in the Championship want the, the season to be played out. Um, even the clubs in mid-table who have nothing to play for, they obviously want to play. It's going to cost them money to play the games, um, but they still want to play the season out. Now, there are, there are arguments where, oh, it's because we're in a relegation battle, etc. Um, but you do have to think about player safety, you know, Kante and Deeney, for example, Kante at Chelsea, Deeney at Watford have, have had a lot of flack um, about you know not wanting to play. And their reasons are absolutely fair. Um, so you do have to consider that. But then again, a lot of the clubs across the leagues that have raised concerns have been fighting relegation. Yeah, a lot of people have pointed to the fact that Hull are just a couple of points outside the relegation zone. They were in dreadful form before the season was postponed. Um, but do you, 
obviously we don't want to be cynical about it if they have got genuine concerns, but it is a bit coincidental that they're the club most opposed to the season continuing at the moment, isn't it? Yeah, it is. You do have to have a degree of scepticism with the likes of Watford as well in the in the Premier League, and obviously well, the bottom six in the Premier League, really. Yeah, but, exactly. I mean, like Charlton, for example, they are very much for the season continuing, aren't they? And well, yeah, it's the the PPG, the points per game is is. If the season doesn't continue, that's how it'll play out. That's going to affect Charlton because that's going to relegate Charlton effectively. So they want to play the games out. You can argue squad-wise they're in a better state now than Hull are at the moment as well. So there are arguments there for wanting to play the season, uh, for wanting for ways of wanting the season to end for, for, on, on both sides. But you have to play the season out for me. Yeah, I, it's hard not to be cynical when it comes to Hull's standpoint, isn't it? Mm-hmm. Well, yeah, you also have to realise that some chairman have come out, I think it was a Cardiff, uh, Matt Dalman, said, even if it's October, you have to play the season out. But who yeah. want the season to end? But as as as, as mentioned, even if, even if it's October, you, you've got to play the season out. Yeah, definitely. Uh, Leeds Chief Exec Angus Kinnear says it would be a national embarrassment if England's top two divisions could not complete their seasons, while other leagues in Europe have managed to get going again. He says they're eager to finish the season, even though they'd be promoted if it was cancelled, which, if anything, shows Hull in an even worse light, (laughs) because obviously Hull want the season to just be done with, where Leeds, they could quite easily sit back and say, yeah, we want the season to finish and we and they go up but mm-hmm. they're being quite a uh, honourable about it I suppose uh, The Sun is reporting that crowds could be allowed back in stadiums in October although they'd be capped at 25% what do you make <laughs> well what a stupid story like well, come on why is it stupid because crowd or not if I go to a supermarket I've still got a chance of contracting the virus it, well, it I imagine travels. there'd be social distancing in place. It doesn't matter. People are still touching turnstiles as they push through them. People are still... You're going to the toilet, etc. You're going past people. Unless everyone's wearing hazmat suits, that's not going to work. I imagine be there'd be masks, you know, gloves, that kind of thing, or personal protective equipment. But there'd also be, you know, social distancing measures in place at stadiums. Obviously, the 25% is to try and get around the whole social distancing aspect of things. The, the argument is that it would give clubs the little bit of money they get from ticket sales. And so yeah. they'd still be able to keep going. That's why it, it, apparently these plans are quite popular in the EFL at the moment, especially at the lower levels. Well, obviously, obviously they would be, but 25%, you've got Leeds, for example, have a much larger stadium than... Uh, Forest Green Rovers, so their twenty five percent is going to be a lot different to their twenty five percent. But you know, it shouldn't. You shouldn't necessarily cap it at a percentage. It should be. Yeah, you know, you can't. It's not. It's not going to work for me. As I say, unless people are wearing hazmat suits and gas masks, there's there's going to be a heightened risk going to a place where there's a larger crowd. Okay. The Daily Mail claims six championship clubs have started training again, despite the EFL telling them not to do it until the 25th of May. Apparently that's not officially against the regulations, but other clubs have raised questions about the spirit of the competition. Um, not particularly surprising. I suppose clubs will take any chance they can get, really, to bend the mm-hmm. rules, won't they? Yeah. 
Uh, one bit of transfer news for you, Justin. Jacks McGoma and Jonathan Grounds will leave Birmingham when their contracts expire at the end of June. Not too surprising. They've not really featured much for Birmingham this season, have they? No, but Jacks McGoma for me has been one of the probably one of the best signings for Birmingham City over the last. Well, this, this I'd say this decade because he's been he's, handy, hasn't he? He's been very, very handy, and I don't imagine he's on a lot a fair whack compared to others. Um, but he's been one of the players that's come up with the goods more than those that they paid money for. So, you know, a bit of respect to him. A yeah. very handy signing. Well, I feel a bit sorry for players who are having, who, who will be left without a club at the end of June. Because obviously being a free agent is a tough enough market as it is. But when you consider how many clubs are struggling at the moment, it's going to be even harder, isn't it? I, I do agree, but I think we've mentioned it before. Football's going to shift massively. Uh, I've heard a couple of interviews where chief execs, hierarchy, etc., have said that football needs to press the reset button. I, I completely agree, and that's going to ultimately lower the demands of players and agents of what they want from clubs in terms of money. That's certainly the way it should be going. Yeah, it does seem like it's going that way. Let's go on to the 11s then, Justin. This is the part of the show where we make up a squad of players with a certain subject in mind. This week, we're talking about playoff heroes. So I'll start off by saying, unfortunately, we're only doing it from when the second tier was rebranded to the championship. So from the 2004 playoff final onwards. Wait, which, well, that's we're a championship podcast, Justin, not a first division podcast. It's what we've been doing with every 11s for the past six weeks or so. You've got players before, haven't you? Yeah, rightly so. Well, I mean, I would have loved to have picked the likes of Clive Mendonca or Darren Carter, but I thought that was the rules. So mine's from post-2004. Justin's is just throwing the rules out the window, apparently, and it's just the playoffs in general. They've, They've been the rules for the past six weeks. Otherwise the only rules are, Ryan, the only rules are we make an 11 of players. All right. I will say this. I found it really interesting putting this together, Justin, because mm. a lot of the players I've picked, this is by far the highlight of their career. It's very rare for a player to do well in a player final and then go on to greater things, if you know what I mean. A lot of them have just kind of faded into obscurity afterwards, but it's like their memories live on. Give, give or take one or two, you're probably right. Looking yeah. through my list, yeah. Yeah. Well, let's uh, go through them. Who have you got in goal? I've got Matt Murray. That's a very good shout. I would have picked Matt Murray if I knew <laughs> the whole playoffs in general. If, if there was rules. Tell us uh, why you picked Matt Murray. Well, I, I, Matt Murray is a bit of a strange career because he had to retire because of injury. Um, but this might well have been the highlight of his career. Um, but anyway, going to the playoff final for Wolves, they, were, they, won, the, they won the game 3-0. Dominated it, but Matt Murray won man of the match. They won the game three 0 I presume he must have made some unbelievable saves then. Yes, he did. He made crucial save after crucial save in what was a very frantic first half of football. Um, obviously, Wolves were three 0 up at half time, but it was the second half the way probably hit probably won the man of the match. Um, he saved the penalty three minutes into the second half. Um. And obviously, with, with Sheffield United still a danger throughout the game, um, a goal that early in the second half could have swung it for him. Yeah. And he was only 22 at the time. And he was only 20, 22. 22 years old. He's a very good keeper, wasn't he, Matt Murray? 
big fan of yeah, it. That's, that's what I mean. He, he had that one season at Wolves, and then uh, the, the, the season they won promotion, and then he got injured, um, and then he never really recovered. Um, and he's a, he's a very good pundit now, so we've obviously. You know, in the, I wouldn't say us as the media world, but the media world definitely benefited from him retiring early. <laughs> I've gone for in goal, Danny Ward. Now, that's it's mainly for his heroics in the 2017 playoff final with Huddersfield. He was on loan from Liverpool at the time and had a really impressive season for them. And he got to the playoffs and the second leg between Huddersfield and Sheffield Wednesday. One of the most dramatic games in playoff final history and that's saying something it was just a really tense and tight game and mm-hmm. it ultimately went down to penalties Danny Ward saving two of them then it was the final against Reading probably the dullest final that's ever been it was awful it was, it was so awful. bad usually these games are full of tension but this one just <clears> sucked <throat> the life out of me it was awful it was nil-nil until we got to penalties uh, and I mean what what would you expect with David Wagner and Yap Stam in terms of style of play they're not the most exciting <laughs> of managers no, are they? Definitely not. Uh, either way it went to penalties Danny Ward being the hero again in the playoffs uh, made the save from Jordan Obertur became a legend at Huddersfield after that and since then his career it's not really gone anywhere has it he the season stalled. afterwards yeah the season afterwards Huddersfield wanted him back in the Premier League but he stayed mm-hmm. at Liverpool didn't play a game that season and then he went to Leicester in 2018 still yet to play a league game for a, decent, for a decent fee as well. Yeah, he's a very good keeper. He is. He's a, he's a very good second choice that Leicester have got, but I feel like he could definitely do a job in the Premier League and maybe one day he might move <coughs> back into the Championship and whoever does get him would have a very good keeper on the hands, wouldn't they? Uh, what formation are you going with, Justin? 4-4-2. Four, four, Standard 4-4-F-2, four, four, as a man once said. Who have you got it right back? Tyrone Mears. Tyrone Mears. Tell us why you got Mears' dog. There's a there's a specific moment as to why he's in this. Um, but he was an energetic wing back. Um, probably more known for how he escaped Derby rather than why he was so good there. <laughs> um, but he was consistent throughout since since joining Derby on loan in the in the January transfer window. Um, obviously, Derby went up in the playoffs in the 2006-2007 season, but he was immense in the final. West Brom were probably the better side on the day, and for being a, an energetic wing back, you don't get many opportunities to get forward. But it was his defending that probably got him into this team for me. Um, West Brom dominated the game, as I say. Derby struggled, and uh, at one point, Jason Kumas went on a mazy run. He was bearing down toward the goal. Mears put in a last-ditch tackle. He got to the ball by millimeters. Everyone thought it was a penalty. I thought it was a penalty. But the referee, Graham Paul, didn't. And in replay showed he a minute touch. He got a minute touch on the ball. It was, yeah, the best probably a match-winning match tackle. And just before we move on, can you explain why he left Derby? Do you explain why he left Derby or how he left Derby? Both. I imagine he left Derby because Derby were terrible. In the in the Premier League season, in that the Premier, Premier League season, season. yeah. He was and how did he leave? He left by escaping out of a window, um, <laughs> sneaking behind the manager's office. Um, so he had to crouch to, I think, go below the the window where Paul Jules' office was at the time. Got got in the um, got in the car and went to Marseille for a medical. <laughs> That's one of those bizarre stories that sounds so false. That it can't be true, but I think it actually 
has been... I think Tyron Mears has actually confirmed it. He's admitted, yeah. Uh, Right, let's move on then. Uh, I've gone for a 3-4-3, as I quite often do when we do these uh, squad 11s. I have gone for, first of all, Dennis Adoy at centre-back, mainly for that Mm -hmm. header scored in the semi-finals against Derby. He's one of the most loved players at Fulham, and it's all because of that moment. For a bit of context, Fulham were 1-0 down going into the second leg uh, as the game got underway, and they were struggling to find the back of the net despite being the better team in the first half. But just before half-time, Dennis Adoy got on the end of a corner, scored, and then managed to ease all the pressure, and Fulham would go on to win the game. And what a header as well. An unbelievable header. Not the the biggest player either. No. Not the biggest defender. No, but he managed to rise up amongst all the players in the box. I think it was actually after uh, half-time. But either way, uh, unbelievable header. And it just set Fulham on their way to the Premier League. Yeah, so it well changed done, the course Dennis. of the game. Yeah. Yes. Uh, who else have you got at centre-back, Justin? Uh, so I've got Clark Carlisle. OK. Tell us Captain, why you got Clark. Captain, captain of the Burnley team that went up in the 08-09 season. He unfortunately missed a playoff final in the 05-06 season for Watford. He got injured in the last game of the season. Um, but he was a colossus for Burnley against Sheffield United and, and helped lead the team to a 1-0 win. They didn't concede a goal throughout the playoff campaign as well, so I think they beat Reading uh, 1-0 and 2-0. And it was much due to the form of their captain, Clark Collow, and he was he was very, very good in that uh, in that season for Burnley and fully deserving of a place. Captain as well. Big Clark. Big old Clark. I've gone for my second centre-back of Jay Demerit. In 2006. Now, I wanted to actually just have a little chat about his career because he has had a bizarre one, a well, really I, bizarre one. Before and, you go on to it, I've picked Jay Demerit as my second son. Good, good choice. See, I didn't realise the career that he's had. So he's American for anyone who doesn't know, and he graduated from college. And you know how they do things weirdly in America, where when you graduate from college, you get drafted to a professional club. Yeah, he didn't. At the age of 22, he was playing in the development leagues but wasn't picked up by any clubs. So what he did was he decided to move to England to see if he could advance his career. Uh, He played non-league football for a few seasons. I think for Southall was one of the clubs he played for. It was in the Ismanian League. Yeah, it was like the seventh tier Mm -hmm. of non-league football. And then he eventually got spotted by Watford who signed him up. And the crazy thing is, this was in 2004. By this point, he was 25 so not a young lad. They took a punt on this guy in his mid-twenties who up until this point had only played non-league. And we're talking really low-level non-league, like a couple of tiers below National League. So in his first season, he played 24 games. The season afterwards, he was one of Watford's best players, scored the opening goal in the 2006 playoff final against Leeds and won man of the match. He'd yeah. go on to play in the Premier League with Watford and at the World Cup with the USA. A really unbelievable story. It's a bit like the film Goal. In a way, do you know what I mean? Yeah, I, not as romantic. Just, just playing, <laughs> you know, f- just playing, you know, kickabouts in uh, America, nips over to England in the Premier League. Next season, World Cup, yeah. unbelievable. A really fascinating story, which I never knew about him. We also had a film made about him. Did you know that? I didn't know that. That's interesting. That is interesting. Yeah. Maybe we should watch it sometime. Maybe we should review it on the pod. Hmm. See what oh, that would be good. Yeah, but look, give it a gander. My final one is Richard Dunn for me 2014 season. Now, this final was remembered for that Bobby Zamora goal. But 
Long story short, Derby dominated the whole game and just couldn't put the ball in the back of net. One of the main reasons was because Richard Dunn was having the game of his life. And he was probably the key reason that QPR went on to win the game, really. Obviously, Zamora put the ball in the back of the net, but if it wasn't for Richard Dunn, who knows where they would have been. I'll argue that point when we get onto midfielders, well, Ryan. We'll get. We'll talk about that a bit later. <clears throat> I think I might know who you've had there. <laughs> Who's your left back, Justin? Um, I've gone with. Uh, well, and I've gone with Andy Robertson. Oh, go on then. Again, I, for some reason I, sh- I just struggle with picking left backs for these elevens. Um, <laughs> there is another one that stands out, but when you start to add context around it, you start to think, okay, maybe he does deserve this playoff hero uh, eleven. Um, but I think it was a sign of things to come for him. You know, it was quite unknown, I think, to a lot um, of fans. You know, he came from Scotland, so it's very hard to gauge how good players certain players are. But he was a key reason as to why Hull won the twenty sixteen playoff final. Um, Derby couldn't cope with Hull in the first leg. They went two 0 up, and in the dying minutes of the game, he scored the third goal. It was a quality goal, a great finish. Um, against Scott Carson who at that time was one of the championship's best goalkeepers as well mm-hmm. um, but had he not scored that goal the playoffs may have been com- a completely different story for Hull as Derby fought back on 1-2-0 in the second leg like Derby were on fire in the second leg they they, they were probably re- very unlucky not to get a result um, in the end or get it to extra time and uh, obviously a wonder strike from Modi Army separated Sheffield Wednesday and Hull City in the playoff final Again, Robertson played well and helped the team to a clean sheet. He kept Ross Wallace quiet. He was in the form of his career, I think, at that point for Sheffield Wednesday. And, um, oh yeah, to the extent that Ross Wallace was taken off in the 60th minute, 66th minute. Uh, may have been tactical, may not. But, you know, credit credit to him. And that's why he's in. He's, in, he's probably in my team for, for that first leg for Hall rather than yeah. the final. Yeah, solid choice. Right, so we've gone... I've gone three four three. You've gone four four two. So who have you got on the right wing? I've gone with Wade Elliott. Ooh, a solid choice. Bit of a mm-hmm. throwback. Go on. Yeah. Well, that Burnley side is a team that lacked a prolific goal scorer. Martin Patterson finished their top scorer with twelve, I think it was. Um, they had Stephen Thompson, who wasn't a prolific goal scorer. I think Robbie Blake was back at that point. Yeah. Uh, nonetheless. They needed quality all over the pitch, and they and they had it. Wade Elliott had that in abundance, um, and it was his wonder strike that separated Sheffield United and Burnley in that playoff final. Um, it's a game where, sorry, the playoff final can be a game where it lacks a lot of quality, and Wade Elliott pulled one out of the bag for Burnley. Yeah, he was a very handy player, wasn't he, Wade Elliott for Burnley? I love him. I, was, I absolutely love him. I was a big fan of him back in the day. Uh, I've gone on my right wing for a winger who's more typically known for playing on the left wing, um, but I've stuck him on the right anyway. Scott Sinclair. You might have him Scott on Sinclair. the left. Yeah, yes. you got him on the yeah, left. Absolutely. I thought you might do. He, he's, a, he's a pretty easy one to pick, really, because he's the only oh, yeah. player to have scored a hat-trick in a playoff final in the mm-hmm. 2011 for Swansea. Um, well, in the championship era, anyway. Uh, so he <clears> really <throat> was the star of that Swansea team and he was mm-hmm. unplayable in that season unplayable Justin and mm-hmm. in this game he didn't let the pressure of the occasion get to him as it often does in the final as we've seen with loads of players over the past few seasons um, he was a really exciting prospect at Chelsea but yeah. never really given the chance he'd had six different loan spells in the space of three seasons 
So it seems like they handled his development really badly and he left permanently to join Swansea and had this unreal season at the age of 21 slash 22. Only two seasons at the Swans. Can you name who he joined afterwards? It was Man City, wasn't it? Yeah. I completely forgot he was at Man City. Yeah. (laughs) Had three seasons there. Man City had that spell where they signed some... like Rongans, not Rongans, but strange, strange well, players. Jack Rodwell was another one. Well, what they were trying to do was they were signing English players, weren't they, to try and get round the homegrown, you know, squabbles, yeah. didn't they? So I suppose they thought, you know, Scott Sinclair, Jack Rodwell, Adam Johnson. So those kind of players, you know, to really just kind of fill the homegrown quota. Then he also had a spell at Villa before joining Celtic in 2016. I thought he moved straight to Celtic from Swansea. It seems like he's been was at it Celtic for years. Was it a permanent transfer to Villa or was it a Yeah, line? yeah, permanent transfer. He's completely passed me by that. He was at Villa. Was that when mm. they were in the Championship? No, I don't know he, did, he did get relegated with him. It's worth yeah. pointing out that he scored 24 in all competitions in that, in that season. Yeah. He's From the left wing player. as well, which is... For a winger to hit twenty odd goals, oh yeah, in any league is a fantastic um, achievement. But you know, in the championship for a 20, 21, 22 year old, yeah, yeah, it's quite, quite a shame really that he didn't really go on to greater things. He, he's the kind of player that I think we'd love, really love to speak to for an episode, really, isn't he? Because it seems like he didn't live up to his potential, but it wasn't really his fault that he didn't because no. Chelsea he didn't get a chance, Man City didn't get a chance and then came into his own at Celtic but that is yeah but by that point it was mid-twenties wasn't he as well well mid to late twenties so really weird career for Scott Sinclair let's go to centre mid Justin I have picked one who you've already mentioned I've gone for Mo Diame for his role in the 2016 playoff final with Hull. Now, this was by no means the most exciting game on earth. It wasn't Huddersfield Reading standards, but it, it wasn't a great game. But no. if there's one thing I do remember from this game, it's Modi Arme was absolutely dominant in that Hull yeah. midfield. Ran the game, obviously, as you said, scored a wonder goal. And then he spent most of his career, you know, as a box-to-box player. But in this season, he, he was like a number 10. And he yeah, paid dividends. Yeah, it's quite strange, wasn't it? Yeah, Actually, but he scored double figures for the yeah. Tigers that season. Because he had he, a really good as season. As you say, because he's absolutely massive. Yeah, he's not but the he, kind of player you expect threat. to go number 10, yeah. No. But he did a really, really good job and, yeah, mm. was a massive hero for Hull on the day. I'm going to have a punt, Justin, that one of your sentiments is the same as one of my sentiments. Have you picked Charlie Adams? Of course, I picked Charlie Adam. Of course, you, you picked Charlie Adam. You can't not Adam. pick Charlie Adam. No, he's kind. Of, he's the kind of player who's just first name on the sheet yeah. when you're doing a team like this. I presume it's for that free kick. Yes, and the more I think about that free kick, the more I think that might have been one of the best free kicks I've watched. Like not live, I wasn't there, but on the telly, it was just ridiculous. How far out it was, and then top pins, it was just ridiculous. I just love the way he he strikes it because it it was more of like a stroke, wasn't it? You know, mm. he's left left foot just gone through the ball just sweeps it into the top corner and he made it look so easy oh yeah but it was a moment of quality that ultimately got Blackpool to where uh, he got into the Premier League didn't it no absolutely Cardiff scored another goal in that game and he equalised they did get another but obviously Blackpool came back um, they equalised and then and took the lead just before half time so you can say almost I wouldn't say it swung the game but it might have given Blackpool belief but you know he he scored um, a penalty 
uh, to win the game in the in the first leg against Forest against a very good Forest side under Billy Davis. So he, he was influential in the team getting to the playoff final in the first place. And obviously his, his ability, his set piece ability, his crossing, his, his crossing from deep, I think, goes underrated just because of his long balls and his his, his corners and free kicks as well. So he certainly he was obviously the standout player for for Blackpool that season. It's worth mentioning that Keith Southern got man of the match as well. Yeah, in that game, those two in centre mid. Yeah. It's a great pairing. Maybe not the quickest of pairings, but it was a great pairing. Uh, But yeah, Charlie Adam is probably one of the only players as well who really went on to greater things. Monty? So to speak, yeah. Yeah. Right, who's your other centre mid? Yeah, so my other centre mid, I think, deserves more of a place in the side than Richard Dunn. Okay. Because he's the key reason as to why I think QPR won. (laughs) QPR won that final against Derby. So for any new listeners, Justin's a very bitter Derby fan. And, oh, oh yes. And when it comes to moments that he's most bitter about, this is probably up there. I'll let you uh, tell tell us why, Justin. Yeah. So this shit house has actually played in three <laughs> playoff finals. He's <laughs> actually played in three playoff finals and one or three. It's when I did some digging, when I did some digging. Um, but yeah, just to paint a picture for everybody. Um, so it's Gary O'Neill. Yeah, um, he's in this. He's in this because I immediately thought of that moment, and I did some digging. I actually found out he's actually quite handy in playoff finals. Um, but it was when QPR won promotion, uh, twenty fourteen playoff final against Derby. Derby, would it be fair to say Derby dominated the game and deserved to win it? I think it would. Yeah, I think a lot of yeah. QPR fans would say so as well, probably. Yeah, but Johnny Russell was bearing down on goal, and O'Neill sized him down. <laughs> Throw on goal, one on one. Johnny Russell, I think. Um, would have hit double figures. Yeah. Uh, yes, obviously still hurts a little bit, actually. <laughs> yeah, that was Derby's key moment as well, wasn't it? Because yep. they, despite dominating the match, that was <clears throat> they didn't really have any golden chances, but no. that was the golden chance. But yeah, Russell was, was, was through on goal, one-on-one with Rob Green. You back, you back players in one-on-one situations, and Derby that season were um, ruthless. So... You you think they would have scored, but I think it also changed the tide of the game um, because QPR then sat back. They might have brought on another defender. They I, don't know, I can't. Remember. They brought Bobby Bobby Zamora on, obviously, and obviously Charlie Austin came off. Um, but as I say, I think that won him the game. But as well as that, he played in the final for West Ham when they beat Blackpool, mm-hmm. and he came on in the eight seven minute eight seventh minute for Norwich when they beat Borough in twenty fifteen. So he's obviously a massive asset to these sides and he's an experienced winner in that sense and clearly a very trusted player. So fair fair enough to Gary O'Neill. So your left winger is Scott Sinclair. My left winger is one I'm surprised you didn't pick. I've gone for Stephen Pearson. Now, he's a very forgetful player. It wouldn't surprise me if a lot of our listeners just don't know who he is. But he, he, he had a decent career in Scotland before moving to Derby. And then... He scored the winner in his first season in Derby in the 2007 playoff final against West Brom. The only goal of the game. And that's pretty much all he did at Derby. Could you? That's obviously his best moment in a Derby shirt. What would you say his second moment is, Justin? I don't know. This is very niche, but he, he chipped a ball to Ben Davis, who hit one of the best goals I've seen live. So that's chipped it. a ball to Ben Davis on the edge of the box and he followed it into the top corner against Leeds. That was good. 
that's the standard of Steven Pearson's career. He scored that goal and then there isn't much else really. He didn't really do much else in his career. I know he moved to, I think he had a loan spell at Stoke and Bristol City. And then he went to India, I think, afterwards. Mm. That's his career just didn't really go anywhere. It was very much, that was his peak moment. And he'll, he'll probably admit as well that that's as good as his career got. I think he also played for Scotland, actually, as well. But, you know, very weird career for old Stevie Pearce. Right, let's go to the striker section, Justin. I think, again, we might have a couple of similar ones here. I'll let you pick first your striker. So I've got Clive Mendonca. Mendonca is always going to be a playoff legend. It's got to be yeah, so. you scored a, you score a hat trick in a playoff final. You have to be in this. Um, it's one of the biggest occasions in a football calendar, and you score a hat trick. It's insane. Also, probably one of the best playoff games ever. Playoff final games ever. Four four. You know, a far cry from that nil nil Reading Huddersfield <laughs> game. So, you know, absolutely deserves his place in this in this eleven. Checking back on his stats as well, he was incredibly prolific for Charlton. He scored 40-odd goals in, I think, almost 90 games. And obviously that catapulted Charlton onto their Premier League status um, to, to performing well in the Premier League. Um, and, you know, quite rightly inducted into Charlton Athletic Hall of Fame. Obviously, he came up last year when Charlton played Sunderland in the playoff final for League yeah. One. And his story is quite strange because he just went into... Because he's from Sunderland as well. I didn't know that. Yeah. I did not know that. And he lives up I'm in sure Sunderland. sure he's popular there. <laughs> yeah, he, li- he lives up in Sunderland. Um, but yeah, his it, story is an interesting one because he sort of went into a private life, fair play to him. Um, but an absolute hero at Charlton, I imagine, for that hat-trick. Do you reckon when he's in Sunderland, people just mention the playoff final to him all the time? He must be absolutely sick of it. Well, there's, there's an interesting interview with him, and I can't remember the details of it, but he does go into a fair bit of you know, depth on that subject. Um and it is quite an interesting interview. I think it was on Sky Sports, so it's worth worth digging out. Fair play. Let's wrap up your team, Justin. Who is your other striker? Oh, Bobby Zamora. Yeah. It's got to be really, <laughs> hasn't it? I mean, you being the bitter Derby fan you are, yeah. it's, you don't want to pick him, but you've got to really, haven't you? Because he's not just been a playoff hero in the 2014 final against Derby. No. He did it for no. West Ham in 2005 as well. Absolutely. A, a hero not once, but twice. Yeah. He's probably the biggest playoff hero there is fair to say yeah no uh, yeah Gary O'Neill's close to that but yeah Bobby Zamora definitely yeah yeah out of out of interest for a lot of our listeners will be wanting to know the um how it feels for your sides <laughs> to concede a last minute winner in the playoff final you were there weren't you yeah what what was your instant reaction when that happened I, it's it's a bit of a cliche but everything sort of y- y- your hands your head falls into your hands and everything's just very quiet around you. It is, it is insane. Um, it's, it's hard to, to, to put it into words, but it was probably one of the, yeah, no, it was the worst moment in night, me watching football. Um, that's why I was losing to Villa last year. It hurt a little bit, but I just wasn't that bothered because we sunk to our lowest at that point in terms of emotion. <laughs> so it almost felt like, that that was a kick in the balls, whereas the one in the the Villa Villa defeat was probably just a tap on the toe. Yeah. Did you cry? No, no, I've never. I wouldn't say I've ever cried at football, to be honest. But if there was a time to do it, that would be a good. If, if I was an emotional person, I would have locked myself in a room for days. And just 
if there's one watched, thing you don't like, just watch sad films. Right, yeah. let's <laughs> sad films. <laughs> have you watched it back? I presume you have done. No, I have. Yeah, I've. Can it take you a while to watch it back though? Definitely, definitely. Yeah, yeah fair play. Yeah. Right, my. I've gone for three strikers. I've picked Bobby Zamora. My other two genuine playoff heroes. Obviously, Dean Windass is one of them. I'm surprised mm-hmm. you didn't pick him. I thought you might pick him. Um, obviously, he's known for that famous moment in uh, the match against uh, Bristol, City. Bristol City for Hull. Probably the most famous moment playoff final history. It's up there as Zamora, isn't it? Yeah, I think so. Just the, the, the a goal when a goal separates teams and you th- Consider that Dean Windass was also about 38 at the time, wasn't well, he? Well, I was going to say, he was 39 at the time. Yeah. But he had a, he, he's another one with a bit of a weird career because he was having a bit of a career renaissance. He, he was mm-hmm. in, When he was in his early 30s, he looked like his career was pretty much over. Between the ages of 29 and 34, he scored 24 goals in five seasons. Um, then he moved to Bradford. In one season, he scored 27 in League One. The season afterwards, he scored 16, and then he moved to Hull at the age of 37, where over a season and a half, he scored 23 in the championship, and obviously one of them was that goal. Mm. So it's just mad that that moment, just before that, he wasn't really doing that much. But it's also worth pointing out that's one of the last goals he scored as well. He didn't really do much afterwards. He didn't play much in the Premier League with Hull. And then I think he had a loan spell at Oldham, and then moved to Darlington afterwards and didn't score many there either. So, really, he kind of ended out on top. No, definitely. He's, um, I think when you talk about a player, that career, that goal pretty much sums him up, in a sense, because people just immediately associate him with that goal. Oh, yeah. And again, it's, it's a nice thing to be associated with, getting you... It's, it's his hometown team as well, isn't it, Hull? Yeah, yeah, he started his career at Hull as well. Yeah, yeah. so it, it, definitely, it's a... Definitely a, a, a good way mm. to be known, isn't it, for scoring the the, the goal that sends your team to the playoff final. First time they're in the Absolutely. Premier League ever as well. Mm. Uh, right, my final one. Let's round off the 11s. My final one is Ricardo Vazte. The definition of a one-season wonder. We spoke about him not long ago when we were picking out the one-season wonders. <clears throat> and the moment that kind of tops off that one season was him scoring the 87th minute winner in the playoff final for West Ham against Blackpool. So, give you a bit of perspective about Vazte's career. He was being tipped as a star of the future, but it didn't seem like it was going to happen. He had one season with Bolton where he scored three. But other than that, prior to 2011, 2011, his highest goals tally for a season was one. In 2011-12, he scored 24 goals. For two teams. For two teams, Barnsley and Mm. West Ham. Most importantly... That winner in the playoff final. He'd go on to have two more seasons with West Ham in the Premier League, playing just 12 games. And he's since gone on to have a spell at Charlton, as well as in Turkey and China, where he has come absolutely nowhere near to matching his cold tally in that season. But he is definitely, I imagine he's well thought of by West Ham fans for his heroics in that season. You'd have thought so, because they weren't as good as they should have been. No. They had a very star studded team. In fact, I was looking at it earlier, but unfortunately, I've clicked off it. But they had they, no, they, big they had names. players like they, had, they signed Nicky Maynard in, in the January transfer window. They had Sam Baldock, they had Gary O'Neill, obviously. Yeah. Um, James Tompkins was there. Um, yeah, some some big names in that side. Yeah, for a championship side as well. I was going to try and get it up. Uh, was Modi no. Army in that team? 
don't think so. Here we are. I've got it. You had Rob Green, Winston Reed, James Tompkins, Mark Noble, Kevin Nolan, Colton Cole. They're, that's just some of the starting eleven. That is unbelievable. How they didn't cruise to promotion, I have no idea. Right, let's get to the squad goals, Justin. This is the part of the show where me and Justin have a look back at a good squad and a crap squad. I'll start off with the good squad, Justin. And I say good squad with kind of quotation marks around it it's the Stoke side from the 2004-2005 season when Tony Pulis was the man in charge I wanted to shine a light on this team because in a full 46 game season they scored just 36 goals (laughs) oh my god (laughs) that is the fourth (laughs) lowest amount ever scored in a championship season now you might be wondering why I'm saying this squad was good well it's because even though they scored so few goals they still managed to finish 12th 12th Justin fair enough so yeah if you put two and two together you're assuming there must have been a lot of games that finished nil nil or one nil and you'd be absolutely right over what half their, their highest, games what was their highest win are you going to get onto that I'm not going to get onto that actually what I will say is over half their games were either goalless or had just one goal in it this season um, they had actually had a couple of games that were 3-2 which is very surprising considering mm the figures but it shows just how few games they had where anything actually happened it's shithousery at its finest possibly the most shithouse season to ever exist in the history of football of course on the spin side of things they had a very good defensive record they conceded just 38 which is one of the best defensive records ever in a season a couple of interesting tidbits about this team Gifton Noel Williams was the top scorer with 13 meaning he scored more than a third of their goals and Mayo repeats, he got just 13. Hmm. Uh, Adi Akinbayi was the next top goal scorer. He got seven, and he was sold halfway through the season, which makes complete nice, sense man. when you're struggling for goals to sell your second <laughs> top goal scorer. The next top goal scorer was Kevin Jones, who got three. Everyone else got one or two. Wait, did you say Kevin Jones or Kenwin Jones? Kenwin Jones. Kenwin Jones? Yeah. I don't think he was there then. He was. He got three goals that season. Uh, I don't know how long he was there for, but it wasn't it wasn't his most prolific season in a Stoke shirt. Uh, but what that basically to round it all off, whenever you moan about your club's football and the lack of entertainment on offer, spare a thought for those Stoke fans that had a season ticket in the 2005-2004-2005 season. It would have been absolutely atrocious. They didn't have that for another ten years under Pulis and Hughes. Well, the thing is, if you are playing crap football, but it's getting results. It kind of masks you know, it masks over. It. Yeah, but if it's not working, then it's horrible to watch and horrible to get through. It makes you dread Saturdays. Uh, a few players, though, who are part of this squad, most notably for me, Ben Foster, who I had no yeah. idea spent four seasons at Stoke before joining Man United. Mm-hmm. Never played a game for them, though. Uh, Richard Keogh also didn't play. Uh, Carl Henry, he did play, but that's about it, really. Tony Pulis... He's never really been a fan of youngsters, has he? But there you Makes go. Sense. Makes sense that Carl Henry came through the Tony Pulis school of football. Yeah, the only youngster he did play was Carl Henry. <laughs> <laughs> Justin, who is the crap squad you want to have a chat about this week? I want to talk about Birmingham City. What season? 2013-2014. Ooh, tell me more. They've had it rough since that League Cup win against Arsenal, haven't they? Let's yeah, be honest. Just a bit. They've had playoff defeats. They've had a European campaign and a lot of mid-table me- uh, mediocrity. But this was quite possibly the worst of it. 
they've had they've had bad since as well. So there's a debate there. Um, but coming into this season, Hutton resigned. He literally said, "There's no money. It's not going to be great. I'm going." And he went to Norwich. Can't blame yeah. him. It's pretty much stated that the Blues will be shit for the upcoming season. Um, <laughs> Carson Young had his assets frozen. He was the owner at the time, so there was absolutely no money at all whatsoever. Lee Clark was then appointed, um, which at the time probably seemed a decent decision because he had a good record at Huddersfield Town. But quite frankly, uh, horrendous. Um, players were sold, others were brought in on freeze. It was a shit show. 41 players, 41 oh players God. made at least one appearance that season. They had loans like Federico Makeda, Jordan Ibe, Jesse Lingard and Dan Byrne. Uh, Dan Byrne. See, that's quite a star-studded loan cast isn't it really mm. I mean yeah. Makeda he's not really someone you put in the same bracket as Lingard and Ibe but you know he was a big name wasn't he at the time yeah definitely yeah. They, they won 11 yeah. games that season um, and they lost 24 which is horrendous they finished the season with just 44 points it was that bad that on the final day of the season right up until the 93rd minute the Blues were heading to the League 1 but, but upstep Paul Canis they were Tailing 2-1 away at Bolton before he scored after a deflected looping cross uh, was headed back in at the back stick to save them from relegation. Yeah, One of the best moments in Championship history, in fairness, isn't it? Quite possibly, because the 93rd minute, the 93rd minute you save your club from going down. And Paul Callis is a legend for all Blues fans after that. Any players that we uh, should know about from that side? Well, I've got the squad list here and it's, it's not particularly pretty. Lee Novak was uh, their main striker. Oh my God. <laughs> um, Chris Burke played in that side, but it was Chris Burke who was coming toward the end of his career. Paul Robinson as well made 40 appearances. Dan Randolph was the keeper. Yeah. Um, but it was just it was made up of really, I'd say below average players. Jonathan Spector played, Tom Amy, Matt Green was signed in the summer on a free um, Damari Gray did come through the youth team at that was coming through the youth team at that point, but it really was a team that was just lost. Ugh. Yeah, it's Lee Clark has always been a weird manager in the way that he seems to get jobs even though he hasn't really done anything any any good apart from no. a half decent spell with Huddersfield. But there you go, <clears throat> well done to Lee Clark. Let's go on to the Craig Bryson pub quiz. This is the part of the show where Justin is going to give me six clues about a championship legend who will have made at least 200 championship appearances and will have played relatively recently. All I've got to do is figure out who that bastard is. Right, Justin, give me a clue, please. I've made 291 appearances, scoring 22 goals. That is a lot of appearances and not that Mm -hmm. many goals. It sounds like... A defender, I think. Uh, Luke Chambers. No, I you, open Luke with, Chambers. you open with Luke Chambers a lot. Yeah, I, I'm hoping one day you will pick him because I just know he's played a lot in the Championship. Go on, next mm. one. I've played for six teams in the Championship. Three included loan spells. Mm. Six teams. Okay. Um, okay, let's move on. I made my championship debut at Coventry City. This season, they were relegated to the League One. That was 2012? I'm gonna th- You're think- right with that. Am yeah. I? Fantastic. Mm-hmm. 
I'm better than I thought I was. 2012. <laughs> that was his debut. Debut in the championship, yeah. He had Ooh. a couple of loan spells at Scunthorpe. Uh, I can't remember the top one. Uh, the one off the top of my head. The other one. In League One. Is it Richard Keogh? No. Ooh. Okay. Uh, despite being born in Burnley, I've made appearances for England under 16s and 17s. I am actually a full international for Northern Ireland. Play for Coventry. Play for Northern Ireland. Um, Northern Irish defenders who have played for Coventry. I feel like I should know this, but my mind's not giving me anything next. Even as a set-piece specialist and an and a baller, and an absolute baller. I've never scored for Northern Ireland, despite 57 caps. 57 caps? So, set-piece specialist. Mm-hmm. Has played for Northern Ireland. <clears throat> um, is this obvious? Should I be getting this? Um, My clues are a bit... bit naughty. Bit you naughty. might do, you might not. Naughty! Yeah. Uh, how many clues have I got left? You got one one clue left, mate. Seppi specialist. No, go on, next one. I was promoted to the Premier League three times in a row without making an appearance in the Premier League until this season. Until this season? Mm hmm. Right, I think I might have it. Didn't know he played for Coventry, though. <laughs> so I'm just. That, the Coventry was a loan spell. Right, okay. Let me just think this through in my head. Because I think it's Ollie Norwood because he was at Sheffield United, obviously, last season. Then he was at Fulham but didn't play. Then I can't remember who got promoted before that. Is it Huddersfield? No. Is it Ollie Norwood? It is Ollie Norwood. Thank God for that. Why do I always think the defenders? I I seriously underestimate how many goals midfielders score. Who was the club he was at before Fulham? Brighton. Brighton, of course so he, it was. Yeah, he was at Huddersfield Town and he went to Brighton. He won promotion with Brighton, then he was going to Fulham for the season. They won promotion, then he was going to Sheffield United for the season. Yeah. Then they won promotion. Big then fan of Ollie Norwood. Big fan of Ollie Norwood. You know what? He... That Brighton side could have used him when they went up. That yeah. Fulham side definitely could have used him when they went up. And he's obviously absolutely killing it now at Sheffield United. He's a quality, quality player. Yeah. Well, he's the kind of player who always had talent, but never seemed to find a home. And then Sheffield United <laughs> was... very really sad. Yeah, well, it's true. <laughs> he, he found his home at Sheffield United and then... He's just gone from there, really, hasn't he? And mm. they're paying dividends because he is a quality player. An still, only 20, still only 29. Yeah, feels like he's been around for ages. It Lovely. Does, yeah. That has been a fantastic Craig Bryson pub quiz, Justin. I am I'm very pleased that you picked Ollie Norwood so we can You're have a welcome. little chat about it. You're absolutely welcome. Right, this has been the Second Tier Podcast. Thank you for listening as per usual. Uh, as you have seen this week and as we mentioned on the pod last week, we now have a website. Please give it a, give it a visit. Have a look at what we've been doing on there. We've been doing a few bits and pieces so far. Uh, Justin, you've done a couple of articles, haven't you? Yep, so I think I just did an intro article and then I did an article on why the Championship is better than the Premier League. And we all know why, article. but... 
Yeah, it was a good. Thank you, Ryan. It was. It was very good. I did a piece on how uh, the championship could look when the coronavirus um, lockdown, how everything could look in a couple of weeks, even uh, the way things are going. And then I've also done one about six championship players who could move to a top six side in the Premier League. So give it a visit. Have a little look. What's the website? Uh, yeah, <laughs> secondtierpod.co.uk. It is, yes. Come on, Justin. I never should... remember the URL. Oh. I just take it for granted that it's second tier pod. Uh, so it's a new one to remember. Look out for some uh, playoff themed content this week. Yes, well. we'll be producing loads throughout the week, so keep an eye on our social media as well. It's at second tier pod on Twitter and Instagram. I've been Ryan Dilks. I've been Justin Peach. Thank you for listening. Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince? They exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns.